Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week, we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Honey Girl. But first, how are we doing? I hope that you have had a good week. I have had, overall, a bad week, I would say. I really did. I fell into a quagmire. I was consumed by worry and fear. My job was taking up a lot of my headspace, and I was worried that I would not be fully prepared for this week's recording, if I can just be fully transparent about that. And there were a few people online who really helped me this week, and of course, my husband Chris was a huge source of support, so here I am. (laughs) I have not given up on this endeavor, despite the fact that my day job is grinding me mentally into the earth. (laughs) You know, sometimes you just go through the motions day in and day out when it comes to your job, and then when it's time to be analytical, when when it's time to turn on your analytical mind, really nothing comes because (laughs) you're just so damn tired and worn out and wrung out. And I really did. I was so depressed. I was so sad this week. So if you have had a really tough week, Just remind yourself that if you're not getting to the big projects in your life, the passion projects that you really care about, just please, please be kind to yourself. And I know that's easy for me to say to other people, and it's harder for me to apply that advice to my own damn self. So I'm sure that's the case for a lot of you out there. But I'm telling you, please, just really just hold yourself really to a high regard. Hold yourself to a high regard. We are going through a really, really terrible, crazy, stressful, abnormal time. And I just, I want us to take care of ourselves. A lot of people say that, but you know, it's easy to say that. It's harder to put it into practice, isn't it? Ah! So I'll just, I'll leave it at that. I had a rough week. I'm doing better now. I am glad to be sitting here recording this episode for you. Thank you to everybody who reached out with praise, compliments, love. Oh, the love that was expressed on Twitter. It really was just a huge help to me this week. So again, I again, thank you. And I'm going to put a button on that. Yeah, put a button on that. We have a show to talk about. It's Funny Girl. So we can't, we can't talk about the show without first getting the show facts, right? Show me the show facts regarding Funny Girl. Okay, okay. I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Let's begin with a rundown of Funny Girl's long and arduous journey to Broadway, shall we fade in on a producer by the name of Ray Stark. 
He has but one dream in life, and that is to publish the official biography of his mother-in-law, the famous Fanny Bryce. <laughs> It'll be great. We'll call it the Fabulous Fanny. I'll hire some dope to interview her, and I'll hire some other dope to write the whole thing up. <laughs> Who doesn't want to learn more about Fanny Bryce? Fanny Bryce, the vaudeville sensation, the comedian, the star of stage and screen. Ha <laughs> ha If you're unfamiliar with the Broadway and film credits of Fanny Bryce, let's learn about them now. Sit tight. Mr. Stark, we'll get back to you in a minute. Okay, so when it comes to Broadway, Fanny was all over the follies. She appeared in a dozen of Flo Ziegfeld's reviews, which says a lot about her enduring popularity with audiences of the era. Beyond the Ziegfeld reviews, Bryce also appeared in the Broadway play Why Worry? and such musicals as The Honeymoon Express, Fioretta, Sweet and Low, and Billy Rose's Crazy Quilt which absolutely sounds like a show title I just made up. Bryce's list of film credits, though shorter than I expected, is intriguing nonetheless. There are the expected Ziegfeld showcases, of course, but then you have titles like My Man, a 1928 comedy about a mailman, Be Yourself, which is described by the IMDb as a, quote, as an ethnic comedy. <laughs> an ethnic comedy about a nightclub entertainer trying to train a boxer, quote, <laughs> All right, I'll take your word for it. And then you have the early Judy Garland vehicle, Everybody Sing, for which Bryce plays Olga Chekalov. This is one of the few instances where Bryce's character name wasn't a variation on her own. In My Man, for example, Fanny Bryce played Fanny Brand. And in Be Yourself, she played Fanny Field. I, I fear I've gone too far down the rabbit hole with this one. Let's get back to Ray Stark, shall we? Stark dedicated a lot of time and energy toward developing the Bryce biography. A lot of time and energy. Unfortunately, the results were less than promising, and he spent $50,000 to ensure the book would never be published. Ah, so what if the book was a pile of crap? We'll make a movie instead. Ha <laughs> yeah, a big Hollywood picture. I'll hire some idiot to write the script and if I don't like their script, I'll hire a second idiot. And if I don't like their script, I'll hire a third idiot. And a fourth and a fifth. Stark burned through 11 screenwriters in his thirsty pursuit of a Fanny Bryce motion picture. Of those 11 writers, it was Isabel Lenart and her script that rose to the top of the heap. The name of the script was My Man, by the way. That's the name of one of Fanny Bryce's film credits. Just want to point out that overlap. God forbid I not point out that minor overlap. Columbia Pictures liked what they saw in Isabel's script and offered Stark an astounding four hundred thousand dollars plus a percentage of the gross to make the film. Ha ha ha! Yes, finally, my dream has come true. Soon, every movie theater in America will be showcasing the fruits of my relative labor. Ha ha ha! The film was never made. Stark changed course yet again when Mary Martin read Lenart's script and suggested it could work as a stage musical. What happened to the 400k from Columbia Pictures? I have no idea. Stark, along with fellow producer David Merrick, 
approached Julie Stein and Stephen Sondheim about writing the score for this hypothetical musical. Stein and Sondheim had found great success with Gypsy, as we know, but when Sondheim learned Mary Martin would star as Fanny Bryce, he rejected the idea outright. Quote, I don't want to do the life of Fanny Bryce with Mary Martin. She's not Jewish. You need someone ethnic for the part. There's that word again. <laughs> Quote, Oh boy. Martin subsequently backed out of the project, and Bancroft agreed to consider taking on the part of Bryce, but only if Stein could ensure the score was within her range. Stein teamed up with lyricist Bob Merrill, but the score they produced displeased Bancroft greatly. Quote, I want no part of this. It's not for me. Quote, it didn't help how Bancroft personally disliked Bob Merrill. Why? I have no idea. Smash cut to Edie Gourmet. Gourmet very nearly became the star of Funny Girl, but negotiations fell apart when she demanded that her husband, Steve Lawrence, be cast as the male lead. Smash cut to Carol Burnett, who also received an offer. Her response, quote, I'd love to do it, but what you need is a Jewish girl, quote. And at that point, everyone was like, okay, fine. Let's go watch this Streisand nobody perform at the Bonsoir. What else do we have to lose? I find it refreshing how several people respected Bryce and her identity as a Jewish performer too much to see a non-Jewish actress play here on stage. We need more of that integrity today, frankly. Speaking of integrity, or the lack thereof, here is a decidedly unpleasant and unflattering quote from Julie Stein regarding Barbara Streisand's audition for Funny Girl. Quote, She looked awful. All her clothes were out of thrift shops. I saw Fran Stark, Ray Stark's wife, staring at her. Obvious distaste on her face. Quote, Who says this about a person? You're on the record, and this is what you say about your star? What? A dirtbag. Despite this initial wave of visceral disgust, the team decided Streisand was a good fit, and so they hired her. The show finally had a star. Did the pettiness and squabbling end there? Of course not. Jerome Robbins, who had been brought on to serve as the director, dropped out after deciding Lenart wasn't talented enough to adapt her screenplay for the stage. Okay. The project was placed on hold for a number of months. In the meantime, Stein placed his focus on the Carol Burnett Broadway vehicle, Fade In, Fade Out, while David Merrick worked to bring Bob Fosse on as Funny Girl's new director. Fosse agreed only to bail, and so the show fell into limbo once more. In the end, Garson Kanan became the director, and Jerome Robbins returned to oversee Carol Haney's choreography. That must have been fun, right? Hello, Carol, it's me, Jerome Robbins. I'm here to oversee your choreography. Don't mind me, I'll just be breathing down your neck the entire time. Streisand, for her part, was not a fan of Garson Kanan's direction. He wanted to cut the song People from the show, despite the fact that it had already been recorded and released as a single to great acclaim. Kanan eventually conceded when he realized the song was a hit. Oh, the song is a hit? Well, hell, you could have fooled me. What's for dinner? I'm starving. Between Funny Girl's Boston tryout and premiere on Broadway, over an hour of Lenart's book was removed from the show. Think about that for a second. An hour of book material. What the hell was the show's running time in Boston? Four hours? The Broadway opening was pushed back five times to accommodate the near-constant changes, which included the removal of five songs. Are you dizzy yet? Broadway, baby, Broadway. It's a wonder any of these shows ever appear before an audience. 
Ultimately, Funny Girl was a 1964 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on March 26, 1964 at the Winter Garden Theater. The production transferred to the Majestic Theater in March 1966 and the Broadway Theater in November 1966. It ran for a total of 1,348 performances, making it the 72nd longest-running show in Broadway history. It currently sits between Dear Evan Hansen at number 71, 1,363 performances, and Mummenschance at number 73, 1,326 performances. Mummenschance for the curious is a quote Swiss mask theater troupe who, who, who perform who, 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 who perform in a surreal mask and prop oriented style. Mummenschance also appeared on The Muppet Show, Sesame Street, 321 Contact, and Northern Exposure. Fun! The book of Funny Girl was written by Isabel Lenart. The music was by Julie Stein. The lyrics were by Bob Merrill. The director was Garson Kanan. Kanan went on to publish a novel in 1980 that was loosely based on his time with Funny Girl. The novel, Smash, would serve as the basis for NBC's 2012 series of the same name. not a girl with a hunger for fame. Musical director Milton Rosenstock. Choreographer, well, we don't actually have a choreography by credit on the IBDB site. Instead, we have that classic phrase, musical staging by Carol Haney. Scenic design, Robert Randolph. Lighting design, also Robert Randolph. Hello, hello. Sound design, N.A. No sound design credit. Costume design, Irene Sheriff, and the original Broadway cast included Sidney Chaplin, Barbara Streisand, Roger DeCoven, Joseph McCauley, Kay Medford, Danny Meehan, and Jean Stapleton of All in the Family, of course, and Chris and I just saw her in the 1996 Nora Ephron film Michael, Michael, with John Travolta. It's a bad movie. <laughs> So, Tony nods. Okay, so the show was nominated for the following categories. The following awards, I should say. It was nominated within categories. Shut up, Jonathan. Okay, so it was nominated for Best Musical, Best Composer and Lyricist, Julie Stein and Bob Merrill. Best Actor in a Musical, Sidney Chaplin. Best Actress in a Musical, Barbara Streisand. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Danny Meehan. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Kate Medford. Best Choreography, Carol Haney. Best Producer, Ray Stark. So, ultimately, the show was nominated for eight awards, but it won none, and that's because Hello Dolly fucking ran the table on it. It ran the table, I do say. Surprisingly, Funny Girl has never been successfully revived on Broadway. Lauren Ambrose and Bobby Cannavale were set to star in a production that would have premiered in LA before moving to Broadway in 2012. But the economic climate made investors fearful and the project fell apart. Prior to this attempt, a 2002 concert benefit for the Actress Fund was held at the New Amsterdam Theater. Get a load of this cast! Carolee Carmelo, Kristen Chenoweth, Sutton Foster, Anna Gasteyer, Whoopi Goldberg, Jane Krakowski, Judy Kuhn, Julia Murney, LaShans, Ricky Lake, Andrea Martin, Adina Menzel, B.B. Newworth, Kay Ballard, Alice Platon, Lilius White, Lynn Carew, Peter Gallagher, Gary Beach, and... The Rockettes. I have to say, out of all of these names, I'll never get over Whoopi, Andrea, and The Rockettes. If you have them on board, I'm on board. I don't care what the project is. Now, I'm sorry to report that Wikipedia's plot summary for Funny Girl is rather meager, but why rely on Wikipedia when we have Fanny Bryce herself Huh? On the Zoom call, on the other end of our Zoom call today. Hello, Fanny, can you hear me? Mm, hello, gorgeous. <laughs> hello. Yes, of course I hear you, kid. What am I to you? An old lady or something? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I may be dead, but the afterlife has its perks, let me tell you. Oh, hello, 
gorgeous. For instance, I can see through walls. Zoom, bam, I see ya. You have no secrets from me, Fanny Brace. <laughs> Another fun feature, I can hear the screams of the damned. Such music they make. <laughs> and instead of legs, I've got this wisp of a tail coming right out of my torso. It's curly, I'm like a translucent pig. Oh, brother. But listen to me going on and on. You've got a show to run and I've got a crawl space waiting for me back on Henry Street. There's this mousy little spinster living over there and I gotta tell you, if there's one thing I love, it's driving her mad. I boo, she screams, it's hilarious. And every time she screams, she farts. Very stinky. <laughs> All right, focus, Fanny. Focus, Fanny. We're talking about Funny Girl, right? The musical. <laughs> well, they didn't get everything right, but they got the broad strokes, baby. To begin with, I had big dreams as a kid. Such dreams I had. I wanted to be on the vaudeville stage more than anything, and no one thought I could do it. They all said I was too ugly. Can you believe it, Fanny? You're a hoot and a half, but your voice is weird, and you look like a sweaty bag of trash. Everyone was always saying that to me. My mother, Rose Brace. My neighbor, Mrs. Straycosh. I mean, with friends like these, you know what I mean? But I proved them wrong. I got a job on Vaudeville, all right. And it was there I met my best pal, Eddie Ryan. Eddie showed me the ropes. And before I knew it, I had those slobs eating out of the palm of my hand. Audiences were begging for more. They were lining up around corners just to see old Fanny. Me, the sweaty bag of Crash. And then who do you think came a calling? Ding dong, ring ring, knock knock, buzz buzz, operator car 54. Where are you? Who gave old Fanny a ring and asked her to be a part of his operation? That's right, Mr. Ziegfeld himself. You should have heard him back on Henry Street. Oh, she's a big star now. I'm sure she'll forget all about us. Everyone was always saying that about me. My mother, Rose Bryce. My neighbor, Mrs. Straycosh. My best pal, Eddie Ryan. Were they right? Oh, basically. Look, I was too busy jazzing up Ziegfeld's stale routines to care. You should have seen his face when I came on stage as a pregnant bride. He was furious. Steaming, I do say. But what could he do? I had those slobs eating. Out of the palm of my hand. Two dollar buffet, anyone? Pancakes more like fanny cakes. <laughs> oh, I suppose it was around that time I met good old Nicky Onstein. Nicky Onstein, Nicky Onstein, Nicky Onstein. Oh, Nicky, what a charmer, what a lover, what a bum. Not only did I marry the big galoot, I wound up living with him in a mansion on Long Island. Me, in a mansion on Long Island. This sweaty bag of trash, in a mansion. Me, a mansion, sweaty. You better believe it, Buster. My mother was so depressed. Mrs. Straycosh and Eddie the Rose telling her, Rose, get up off your saggy bum and find yourself a man. But my mother would say, Oh, good love me. I'm a sweaty bag of trash. Oh, the apple doesn't fall far, does it, Mama? Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh. Then came the dark times. Oh, I always knew Nicky was a gambler, but who would have thought he'd turn into such a bad gambler? Oh, he had this crazy idea. See, he wanted to invest in a casino with Mr. Ziegfeld, and I, being the ever-supportive spouse, was foolish enough to encourage him. Before you know it, we'd lost all our money. Did I mention I had a baby girl then? I had a beautiful baby girl, little Francis. Little Francis grew 
able to marry Ray Stark. And I was never a fan of him. A real sweaty bag of trash, that one. But I digress. Nikki got himself caught up in some ill-defined embezzling scheme. And soon it was bye-bye, Nikki. They locked him up. And I waited for him, God knows. I, I waited for years. But when he finally got out, uh, well, we realized the love we had for each other was dead. Much like I am right now. <laughs> Boo! But in all seriousness, it was maybe the worst day of my life. But I never let it get me down. No, sir, I kept moving. I never stopped hoofing it. And I'm still around to tell my story. You'll never get rid of Fanny Bryce. Never chew on this, Miss Unsinkable Molly Brown. Oh, holy egg salad. Look at the time. I gotta get out of here. I have a feeling there's a spinster on Henry Street who is getting a little too comfortable in her crawl space. Ooh, I'm gonna make her scream and fart so much. It's going to be great. See you later, kid, and thanks for having me. Whoa, whoa. And hey, here's a little something for your listener. Goodbye, gorgeous. <laughs> See what I did there? Boo, 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 boo. For the purposes of this week's episode, uh, I just want to say right up top, the cast of Funny Girl did not perform as part of the 1964 Tony Awards ceremony, though to be fair, none of the nominated musicals were showcased that year. When exactly did it become fashionable for companies to perform at the Tonys? One would think I, the musical man, would have the answer to that question. Newsflash, I do not. So we're not talking about a Tony Awards performance this week, but I did listen to the 1964 original Broadway cast album. Of course I did. I had a fine time with this album, but I do have a couple of gripes. Hmm, a couple of gripes, he admitted. I'll start with a minor gripe. What is the deal with the mix on this album? It sounds as if the performers are moving between three different mics in the studio, and I can't figure out what informed this decision. I've heard other cast albums from the 60s, not to brag, and you simply don't hear this being replicated, so I doubt it's an indicator of some larger trend. Sure, there are moments on the original Dolly album, let's say, where people are placed too far back or too far to one side, but they never sound like they're wandering around the back hallways of my skull. Do me a favor and place Barbara at the center of the mix, will ya? It's where she belongs. And now for a heftier gripe, this album, the album art... I should say for this album is lame, and I have always disliked it. That upside down rag doll with her noodle spray of mermaid hair, how the title of the show forms and makes her body look like Gumby, the way she's reaching for that disembodied rose bloom, ugh, ugh. It's childish. It doesn't represent the period aesthetic of the show at all. The show is about vaudeville, essentially, ostensibly, so why are you giving me Woodstock by way of schoolhouse rock? And to top it all off, your background is pitch black. Is Fanny floating through space? No thanks. And then I rewatched the 1968 film adaptation of Funny Girl. Ray Stark was unsurprisingly a producer on this film. He finally got to make his big Fanny Price motion picture. He also produced the film adaptations of West Side Story, Annie, and Steel Magnolias, not to mention about a thousand Neil Simon movies. Did I enjoy my time with the Funny Girl film? Of course. It's excellent. This wasn't my first time at the rodeo. I said I was re-watching it. Okay, all right, of course. I've seen the movie a few times, most recently with Chris in September 2017, and then this week. Most recently this week. I'll tell you what holds up with each revisit, okay? Streisand's timing. 
excellent. Omar Sharif and Barbara Streisand's chemistry. Oh my god, it works so well. They are so great together. Omar Sharif, by the way, his ooey gooey chocolate chip eyes. Yes, please. The scene in which Fanny, having learned about Nick's arrest, chooses to stand before reporters and brush off their questions with one-liners. I really like that scene. I think that's my favorite scene out of the entire movie. It's great. Fanny simply cannot turn it off, and when she finally allows herself to run away from this group of reporters, this gaggle, Streisand's eyes are filled with panic and shame. Comedians are constantly filled with panic and shame. I can relate to this feeling. Why would I be honest about my feelings when I could transform them into bits? Laugh at me, laugh at me! It's the only way I'll survive this. <laughs> Should I do another take on that line? Absolutely not. What I never realized is how the Funny Girl movie is even more of a vehicle for Streisand than the stage version. The film jettisons nearly all of the supporting cast material while completely eliminating the company. Routines from Fanny's original act, Secondhand Rose, My Man, and I'd Rather Be Blue Over You Than Happy With Somebody Else, are incorporated into the narrative along with a newly written title anthem. This leads me to wonder what, out of all of these options, a Broadway revival would choose to keep or discard. There's all sorts of options. Streisand had a huge impact on William Wyler's direction of the film, which would explain a lot of these revisions. People like to paint Streisand as an egomaniac, but honestly, if you were the reason, the number one with a bullet reason why people were coming to see Funny Girl on Broadway, wouldn't you feel the need to call your shots when it came time to make the movie? You only get one chance to do the movie version right. And if you're capable of exploring your options, why wouldn't you? To put it bluntly, the movie is a huge improvement over the stage musical. If my read on the album is, is to be trusted at all, you can trust that statement. Spoiler alert, the company material from the OBC album is stale, and I understand why they cut it. I also had a fair amount of interest in watching Funny Lady, the 1975 sequel to Funny Girl, but as I stated earlier, this has been a week, and I never got around to it. I hope I do at some point. But here's a bit of trivia for you regarding Funny Lady. Streisand initially refused to do the picture, telling Ray Stark he would have to sue her if he ever wanted her in front of a camera. But she liked the script and was contractually obligated to star in one more Ray Stark production, and so she relented. Once filming on Funny Lady had wrapped, Streisand presented Stark with a mirror. She gave him a mirror on which she had written the phrase paid in full in lipstick. Seems like an awkward interaction. Funny Lady wound up being a critical disaster, but it was also the seventh highest grossing film of 1975. Will I ever see it? Only Father Time will tell. Yes, I hope that I do. Father Time, are you listening? Uh, give me a call. We'll work it out. Oh, what the heck. Let's get the other nine top-grossing films from 1975, shall we? Let's start at the bottom with number 10, The Hindenburg. Oh, the humanity. $14.5 million. Number nine, The Apple Dumpling Gang. Oh, the apples. $16.5 million. Number eight, Tommy. Oh, the pinball. $17.7 million. Number seven, Funny Lady. Oh, she's so funny. $19.3 million. A Far Cry from from Funny Girls, 
final total of $58.5 million. Number six at the box office that year, Three Days of the Condor. Ah, the condors. Ah, they're pecking my eyes out. That's a cool $20 million for you. Number five, shampoo. Oh, the hair. There's so much hair. $22 million. Number four, dog day afternoon. Oh, the Attica. The Attica. $22.5 million. Number three, the return of the Pink Panther. Oh, no, he's returning. $25.4 million. I find myself funny. And number two, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh, he's gonna smother you on your sleep. Watch out, Jack. $59.2 million. And the number one, way ahead of everyone else, Jaws. Oh, the shock. The shock. That's all I have for Jaws. $133.4 million. These are North American tallies, by the way. Movies! Overture is a blast. I really, really like it. It's this big honking clatter and clang piece that takes no prisoners. The parade has begun, and if you aren't on board, we are scooping you up and dropping your ass onto a float. You are a part of the parade. Now there's no stopping this parade. What I really appreciate about the overture is how, for a while at least, it holds off on recreating melody lines we'll hear in the show. The first portion of this track sounds entirely unique to itself, like Stein is trying to rid himself of an excess amount of wild energy, and when those all-too-familiar lines from People or Don't Rain on My Parade do come into play, he rattles and gins them up to bring out new coloring. It's really quite fun. Stein, I'll never forgive you for what you said about Babs, but you did a good job here. We need to talk about Bob's lyrics, though. When people pay good money in the theater, especially the male element, they want something to look at. If a girl isn't pretty like a Miss Atlantic City, all she gets in life is pity and a pat. Is a nose with deviation such a crime against the nation? Should I throw her into jail or drown the cat? Shine in every detail like a ring you're buying retail. Be a standard size that fits a standard dress. When a girl's incidentals are no bigger than two lentils, then to me that doesn't smell success. Yeah, so I would love to say Bob Merrill is one of Broadway's best kept secrets, most underrated lyricists, but that simply is not the case. People and Don't Rain on My Parade are unimpeachable credentials. They're bulletproof. He's hiding behind them. But no one is returning to those songs because they love chewing over the words. They're not amazing acting exercises. Actors don't think, gee, I can't wait to deliver those classic Bob Merrill lyrics. They think, holy shit, I can't wait to sing these Julie Stein 
the tunes is what they think. In both instances, Stein's music is doing all of the work, and the words are incidental. They are essentially meaningless. And when Merrill can't benefit from standing next to someone like Stein, you get much, much more meager offerings. Uh, offerings like sugar and flops like Breakfast at Tiffany's, which never officially opened on Broadway. Oh my god. Hell, even when Merrill is standing next to someone like Stein, the resulting collaborations can vary. With People and Parade, I can easily overlook the man's limitations. But no amount of genius from Stein was going to save a number like If a Girl Isn't Pretty, which you just heard a bit of. When a girl's incidentals are no bigger than two lentils, then to me it doesn't spell success. That is a painful line. I don't like that line. I always know it's coming, but that foresight never makes the experience less entertaining. Incidentals, two lentils. You can hear Gene Stapleton straining to overcome that hump of a joke. This is what you wrote for Gene Stapleton. I realize I'm obsessing over this one lame duck laugh line when I initially said the entire number was a flop, but the whole thing really is a flop. Like, enough already, ladies. Let's... Let's get to Barbara, shall we? Listen, I got 36 expressions. Sweet as pie to tough as leather. And that's six expressions more than all them Batamores put together. Instead of just kicking me, why don't they give me a lift? It must be a plot, cause they're scared that I got such a gift. Well, I'm miffed Cause I'm The greatest star I am by far But no one knows it Wait, they're gonna hear a voice A silver flute They'll cheer each toot. Yay, she's terrific. When I expose it. Now can't you see to look at me that I'm a natural Camille. As Camille I just feel. I've so much to offer. Kid, I know I'd be divine because I'm a natural coffer. <laughs> <laughs> Some ain't got it, not a lump I'm a great big clump of talent Laugh! They'll bend in half Did you ever hear the story about the traveling salesman? A thousand jokes Stick around for the jokes A thousand faces Okay, yes, I'm the greatest star, here we go. If ever there was a time for the glass of water in a desert metaphor, it would be Streisand's first appearance on this cast album. The overture was like a fun-loving outpost on the edge of the dunes. If a girl isn't pretty left me wandering aimlessly under a broiling sun, and now I've arrived at the oasis. 
It's not as if I'm a maniac for Babs, by the way. I don't own any of her albums. And really, the only song of hers I properly adore is her mashup of One Less Bell to Answer and A House Is Not A Home. That's great. If you haven't heard that, check that out. But she is impeccably funny on the Funny Girl album, employing a deft and gentle touch that is the definition of charming. She's even better in the film version, if you can believe it. She's so fucking funny in the movie. Which of her, which of her asides, which of her asides from I'm the Greatest Star is my favorite, that would probably be stick around for the jokes. The delivery is positively batty, and no one but her would have thought to make that choice. That's why practically everyone imitates her choices when performing this number, but there can only be one Babs, ladies and gentlemen. There can be only one Highlander. Eddie, the Zigfield Follies. Now she belongs to the ages. My work is done. My work is done. Our work is done. She doesn't need us. She'll have cake. We'll have crumbs. Be careful of the stage door. Here she comes. Here she comes. Hello, Fanny. Hello, all. Mama who? It's good to see her from afar. I lost a daughter, but I gained a star. That's Broadway. The arrival of Who Taught Her Everything means a return to the musical theater desert for us all, unfortunately. I would have skipped over this track without a second thought, if not for the fact that it came with a minor revelation. One of those classic minor revelations I'm always having. But consider this, people. Julie Stein wrote two musicals about a mother named Rose, who resents her successful showbiz daughter, Gypsy, and Fawning Girl. Did Stein come to this conclusion before signing on to the project? Or did he, like me, experience this minor revelation deep into his process? Oh, God, I've done it again. Mama Rose, always you wrestle inside of me. Always you will. Langston is kicking all sorts of ass via his operatic solo. His love makes me beautiful only really works if you can see Streisand dressed as a pregnant bride. It's all about her outsized reactions to that outsized baby bump. So as standalone audio, this song, the song doesn't really land, but that Langston solo, what a whopper. Funny Girl turned out to be the last of Langston's Broadway credits, following appearances in Redhead, Keen, and pal Joey. Mr. Langston, I may not be aware of how your life turned out, but know that you made my life a little better this week with your wonderful vocals. The pipe's on you, I mean, my God. 
All right, well, this is just nonsense is what this is. We needed a song about Henry Street. Fine, 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 fine. If we have to have one, I'm not going to be a total jerk about it. But how is this not the opening number? It's an introduction to the world that comes fairly deep into the show's first act. That's just bad placement. And if I am allowed to be a bit of a jerk about this song, might I also ask what's supposed to be happening during the thing? Because the only stage picture I can cobble together is a line of high schoolers staring blankly out at an audience. One of them has a basket. Uh, one of them is vaguely holding a newspaper above their head because they're playing a paper boy or a paper girl or a paper person. If I wanted a more tedious version of We'd Like to Thank You, Herbert Hoover, from Annie, I'd have put it on my Christmas list, is all I'm saying. Dear Santa, etc., etc. Ho, ho, ho. With one person, one very special person, a feeling. But first be a person who needs people. Thank goodness. Emerald palm fronds swaying in a gentle breeze. Oh, thank goodness. The smell of sweet mangoes and cool, fresh well water. My friends, we have arrived at another Streisand oasis, and it could not have come at a better time. Now, as I stated earlier, I'm not a fan of how the mix is consistently slowly moving Barbara from one side to the other, and Bob Merrill's lyrics are completely forgettable. Hallmark babble. But when we hit that power line of beep, People who need people. <laughs> what a voice, huh? What a voice on me this week. That leaves me shivering with pleasure. Oh, it's delightful. It's even better in the film version, with Streisand practically straddling a lamppost as she launches into the vocal stratosphere. Should I be dedicating more time to the Streisand oeuvre? Should I be listening to all of her albums? Is that necessary? Eh, perhaps when I'm retired. That seems like a nice retirement activity. You! I can be taller than you are softer to the touch. It's a feeling I like feeling very much. You are someone I've admired still our friendship believes something to be desired. Does it take more explanation than this? 
I am man Let's kiss Isn't this the height of nonchalance Furnishing a bed in restaurants Well, a bit of dinner never hurt But guess who is gonna be dessert Do good girls do just what mama says When mama's not around It's a feeling, oy vey, What a feeling A bit of pate I drink it all day Should I do the The only part of You Are Woman that actually works is Fanny's inner monologue. I really like that section. When the spotlight is on Sidney Chaplin, uh, yeah, no dice. The guy sounds like he should have been in the original cast of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. And believe me when I say that is not a compliment. You want him as Perry White or Max Menken? Fine. But the idea of him cozying up to a 21-year-old Streisand makes me ill. Vocally, at least, these two have less than zero chemistry. It really makes me miss Omar Sharif. And when Chaplin sings nonsense like, you are woman, I am man, you are smaller so I can be taller than... He sounds like her father. Again, Bobby Merrill. What the hell is up with some of these croakers? I am man. Taller than. That's the kind of withering treacle that makes me want to collapse. It's like you're making me drink cod liver oil. Enough! But the inner monologue material, that absolutely works. And only because no matter what is happening around her, Streisand can't help but break out of and rise above it. You absolutely get the sense that she's destined to leave musical comedies behind and become this one-woman operation that we have known her to be for decades now. Perfection, a freckle on the nose of life's complexion, the cinder or the shiny apple of its eye. I gotta fly once, I gotta try once, only can die once bright, sir. Ooh, life is juicy, juicy, and you'll see, I gotta have my bite, sir. Get ready for me, love, cause I'm a comer. I simply gotta march, my heart's a drummer. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. I'm gonna live and live now. Get what I want, I know how. One roll for the whole shebang. One throw that bell will go clang. Eye on the target and wham. One shot, one gunshot and bam. Hey, mister.
As we'll come to find in our show-related ephemera segment, no one should be approaching Don't Rain on My Parade if their name isn't Barbara Streisand. You should be sued for even thinking about singing this song in a professional context. Sing it in the shower all you want. I'll even allow a karaoke rendition every now and then. But if you make people pay to hear you sing this song, I hope a team of lawyers come swooping down and nipping at your heels. Because this belongs to Babs. Betty, okay, is what I'm saying to you. Barbara, Miss Streisand, Babs, her name and her fingerprints are all over this sucker. And I'm a fan of the take we get here on the OBC album, especially how she pulls off that whiplash of a vocal flip you heard at the end. But the film version somehow manages to be even better. Maybe I'm just in love with that helicopter shot that zooms in and out on Barbara as she stands on that wonderful tugboat. That shot really did. It nearly drove me to tears this past week. What a weird week. Tears. Before we move on, I have to throw Bob Merrill under the bus at least one more time, because really, what is happening with the line, your turn at bat, sir? At least I didn't fake it. Hat, sir, hat, sir, hat, comma, sir. I guess I didn't make it. Hat, hat, hat. Is she asking for her hat? Is she asking for this sir to hand off her hat so she can... I don't know, leave? Because this sir is raining on her parade? Forget it. Forget I asked, forget it. It does not matter. You could replace all of these lyrics with baby blather, and it wouldn't make a lick of difference. The music and the magic of Miss Barbara. Those are the moneymakers. You were lucky, lucky. You were along for the ride, Bob. The man that you select. What about him? He must understand there are rules to obey, not toy with your morals and lead you astray. Please, darling, let the man do things his way. Find a man. I'm a grandmother. Find a man. You got somebody in mind? Yes, I fully understand now why the supporting cast material was cut for the purposes of the Funny Girl movie. In regards to Find Yourself a Man, I mean, what's to say? Kay Medford's parched asides as Rose are a hoot. I'm a grandmother! And I enjoy hearing Gene Stapleton be a goofball as much as the next goofball. But let's not, okay, let's just be real. Find Yourself a Man is incidental. It's the dictionary definition of incidental. This is a vamp. If ever there was one, nothing more than an opportunity for Streisand to change into her next costume and have a bite of cheesecake. Yum, yum, yum. Were audiences expected to care about Rose's love life? What? Talk about an on-starter of a subplot. Rose, go out and find yourself a man. No, thanks. Not exactly the sort of material that leaves you in stitches. All I'm saying is you cut five songs on the road to Broadway. Why not cut six? Why not cut seven or eight? The one-two punch of the music that makes me dance and the reprise of Don't Rain on My Parade... I mean, that proves to be a much more satisfying conclusion to Fanny's story than the one we got in the film version. Why don't we just, okay, so we'll play a clip from each back to back. Let's do that now. Let's drop that in right here, me. Oh. 
sight for a glance in every way every day I need less of myself I need more him Life's candy, the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. I'm gonna live and live now. Get what I want, I know how. All that the love Hey, gorgeous. Cry a little later, well, Bryce, that's life in a theater. Get ready for me, world, cause I'm a comer. I simply gotta march my heart to drum and Now, the film ends with a moody rendition of the song My Man, and that acts as a sort of dispiriting ellipsis on the Fanny Bryce narrative. You get the sense that Fanny may not be okay in the wake of Nick's departure, that her once bright light may very well go out, that her humor has died, which would be a tragedy. Whereas in the stage version, she's positively bursting with fiery determination at the end of the show. That's the Fanny I want to see, frankly. The structure of Funny Girl already resembles that of A Star is Born way too much. So I don't need Fanny mourning her loss in these final moments. I want her singing along to a sassy horn in the music that makes me dance. And then I want her to lift my spirits with a return to Don't Rain on My Parade. Yes, sir. Hat, sir. Give me my fucking hat, sir. Okay. 
Okay, that's the deconstruction of the score. Now let's get a word from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Look over here. Yeah, that's right. Look over here. Under the glass case. How you doing? It's me. I'm a chess pie. Yeah, that's right. I'm sitting right next to you in a diner. Yeah, that's right. I'm a fucking chess pie. What the fuck is it to you? You look like you have a sweet tooth, my friend. I am a fucking pie. I'm a fucking chess pie. So why don't you do yourself a favor? Why don't you look at the waitress behind the counter? Why don't you order a slice of chess pie and eat me? Why don't you just eat me? Ah, it's an offer you can't re- Fuse, remember that movie? <laughs> I love Goodfellas. <laughs> hey, do yourself another favor, huh? When you order a slice of me, when she carves into me with that big, thick knife, and she plops my juicy ass down on a sizzling plate, a red-hot piping plate, watch your fingies, watch your fingies, the plate is hot. Do yourself a second favor. Get yourself a cup of that 5678 coffee, yeah? 5678 coffee goes so well with chest pie. Frankly, it goes well with all sorts of pies. But I'm the best pie in this fucking diner. And you're not gonna order a slice of apple pie, blueberry pie, pumpkin pie, peach pie. You're not gonna get a fucking cobbler. You're not gonna get a pastry or a donut. Fuck you. You're gonna order from me. You're gonna eat me. Eat me, motherfucker. Eat me. And I'm gonna tell you right now, you're gonna slurp me down. You're gonna swirl me around in your mouth. Little bits of me with a big fucking sloppy mouth full of five, six, seven, eight coffee. You can count on it. And you can count on me fucking sliding into your goddamn bedroom tonight if you don't fucking order a slice of me. Here's two scenarios for you. Either you fucking eat me and I come sliding out of your fucking puckered asshole at fucking 2 a.m. in the fucking morning, or I fucking slide through your fucking window at 2 a.m. and I fucking smother you, okay? I'm a fucking sentient pie. I fucking walk around. I'll fucking kill you, okay? I'm a chest pie. Fuck me. Eat me. Fuck you. I'm gonna slide out of your fucking pucket asshole. Final thoughts on Funny Girl. This may sound obvious, but there's a reason why Funny Girl has never been revived on Broadway. It may still have life on high school and college stages, for all I know. I don't know. I've never heard of a high school or a college doing this show. But when it comes to the big leagues, no one is actually interested in finding a replacement for Streisand. That's a losing game. I'm throwing my gay hands around like there's no tomorrow, and I don't blame anyone for not wanting to play a losing game. No one wants to replace Streisand. Streisand and Funny Girl. That's a lightning in a bottle moment for the ages, and there's no need to try and recreate those conditions. What's more, I'm convinced the movie successfully managed to swallow up the stage version of Funny Girl. The stage version has been superseded. We don't need it so long as we have the movie. It's all we need in these dark and trying times. Seriously, if you haven't seen the movie, check it out today. I, okay, I will probably watch Funny Lady and report on that next week. Maybe. No promises. All right, promises, promises. I'm through with promises, promises. Daddy's making no promises. 
1964, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Hello, Dolly, and the additional nominees from that season were High Spirits and She Loves Me. I mean, give me a break with this question. Should Funny Girl have won the Tony Award for Best Musical over Hello, Dolly? No! Dolly is a much better, sturdier package on the whole. If anyone other than Babs had appeared in Funny Girl, I'm convinced that show would have flown past us all like a tumbleweed. But some of the songs are so great. Yeah, two of the songs are great. Two. Would you want to hear Mary Martin sing People? Would you want to hear Carol Burnett sing Parade? Of course not. My point stands. No Barbara, no show. No Tony Awards, no movie, no longest-running designation, nothing. No woman, no cry. Moving on. Let's rank the show against all of the other musicals we've talked about here on The Musical Man. I am putting Funny Girl at number 27, between Kiss Me Kate at number 26, and Evita at number 28. Yes, that's right. Oh, and of course, if you want to look at the list of shows that have been ranked against each other, just go to our Twitter profile, at Musical Man Pod. Go to our likes section. At the top of that likes section, there's going to be there's going to be a tweet, okay? There's going to be a tweet. And, in, <laughs> and within that tweet, there is a link to a Google Sheet. Go to the second tab on that Google Sheet. That's our ranking, baby. You'll find all of the shows there that we've talked about. Now, when it comes to show-related ephemera, we will begin with an old radio broadcast celebrating Funny Girls opening night on Broadway. At the top of this clip that you're about to hear, you will hear Fred Robbins conducting a pre-show interview with Streisand. We will then jump to the after party at the Rainbow Room, where Robbins interviews a number of high-profile figures before checking in with Babs one last time. Let's get that now. We spoke with Barbara shortly before curtain time in her dressing room backstage at the Winter Garden. So how do you feel? Nervous. Just nervous? Yeah, not much more. We've had many openings already. It's, but, you know, the big one now, the moment of truth. Nah, I get less nervous in the moment of truth. The easiest time is on stage. It's all, you know, the stuff that goes on before that's hardest. What does this mean to you, this opening night, Barbara? I don't know. It's not that kind of a thing where I've sort of been waiting for this moment all my life. Tonight, I mean, it's one of many things, you know, that I want to do or have done. I want to regard every performance as opening night. I don't really want to separate it. This tremendous projection immediately to the higher echelon of performers. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to accept it and adjust to it? I haven't thought about adjusting to it. I mean, it's, uh, I'm the same person. Things don't change me. I mean, I, I'm not impressed by things, you know. With added success comes added problems, added other things, so... People are people. In your wildest dreams, did you think it would happen to this to this dimension? Of course. Emma's? Of course. I mean, I always wanted to be famous and rich and star, and I'm not that rich yet, so... And I'm not that famous, so I still have more to go. Isn't it an emotional experience when you saying it comes across that way on record? No, no. You know, I don't know. I don't like to talk about myself. Oh, you better get used to it. Unfortunately, it really is kind of boring, you know, to talk about yourself all the time. See you later at the party, bud. Yeah. Bye, Freddie. In a moment, we'll take you to the sensational party at the Rainbow Room, 65 floors above New York streets. Ben, uh, you're a man who knew Fanny Bryce. There's lots of nostalgia connected with your attendance tonight. What did you think of Funny Girl? Uh, Barbara Streisand, Streisand is the most remarkable thing I've seen about the last 10 years. Sophie Tucker, she has everything that I will call a star. She is star material from now on. Nothing will stop Barbara Streisand. Leonard Sullivan, the amazing thing about her performance is it is not an imitation. It is not a mimicry or aping. This 
This is a great, great talent of 1964. Jason Robards in an off night from after the fall. Yeah, uh, I was just stunned by this tr tremendous performance. I don't know what, you know, I felt, uh, what am I doing there? A 21-year-old girl like this got all that talent, all that class. Amy Lauren Bacall, Robards, what did you think tonight? Absolutely saw the best thing I ever saw in my life in that girl. She, she can act, she can sing, she she has a, an electric personality, which is what makes a star. Frank Farrell of the New York World Telegram. I thought it was an electrifying, very exciting thing. I think her performance uh, made the show. Ed Sullivan was sitting across the way from me, and he was stunned. And here's a guy who, uh, I think he was one of the first ones to spot her and to bring her on to his television show. But he had no idea of these other capacities that she has. Well, we've got the two songwriters together, the fellows who gave birth to Funny Girl tonight, Bob Merrill and Julie Stein. Julie, we've written some songs, and we heard them really sung tonight by Barbara Streisand. It was really something. Now, what makes this girl, unanimously, the age of 20 or 21 years old, such, right before your eyes, because certainly she, one of the greatest of our generation? Well, I can answer that, because she's unique, original, unfortunately, a lot of singers copy one another and fall into a trap. This girl has great taste, marvelous musical taste, and naturally she's going to survive a lot of people who have bad musical taste. This girl is unique. No fake, honest. She's one of the greatest singers of my time. I've heard them all. She's going to be in the theater for a long, long time because the theater needs Barbara Streisand. Now she needs the theater. Barb, now after. You tired, honey? Yeah, I'm exhausted. Were you pleased with the way the uh, premiere went, Barbara? I guess so. You know, I don't know. Was tonight's performance any different, any more exciting than any of the others? No, less. Why? Because opening night audiences are very sophisticated and they come there judging, you know. When anybody comes to judge, it stilts everything. Their reactions, they, they always want to react big for the show. They think they're helping, but it just cuts off their own emotional reaction to it. So the whole thing is very pressed. I hate opening nights. They're just horrible. Well, it's over and only it's a big over. run is in front. I hope so. Good luck, darling. Thank you. That was an edit of a nearly eight-minute-long YouTube upload, and as with anything on YouTube, there are inevitably insane comments. Here's one insane comment from Josh Drayton. Quote, She's gonna be in the theater for a long, long time. It sounds like it might be Bob Merrill who says this. How wrong he was. After Funny Girl, Streisand never went near the theater again. I wonder what the blasé attitude she affects during the interviews here is covering. She actually sounds somewhat depressed. As though the reality of stardom and fame was already failing to live up to her expectations, or the drudgery involved in delivering the brilliance she demanded of herself just wasn't worth it. She seemed to sour on movies eventually, too, with her interest dwindling over the years until she was only doing the lamentable Fokker movies for a quick payday. Just imagine what a career she could have had on stage and in movies if she'd enjoyed the work more and not retreated to her Malibu fortress to collect antiques, decorate houses, and clone dogs. Quote, in response to that comment, Josh, I have a few quick facts for you, Josh. Josh, did you know? Barbara has released 
117 singles, 36 studio albums, 9 compilation albums, 7 live albums, and is featured on 15 soundtracks. She has sold over 68.5 million albums in the U.S. and 145 million worldwide, making her one of the best-selling artists of all time. Her albums have achieved gold status 52 times, platinum status 31 times, and multi-platinum status 14 times. She has 19 film credits. She has 17 television specials spanning six decades. Her six tours have generated nearly $360 million in revenue. She has won 10 Grammys, 9 Golden Globes, 5 Emmys, 4 Peabody's, 2 Academy Awards, a Special Tony Award, the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award, a Kennedy Center Honors Prize, and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Funny Girl is in the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. The song People is in the National Recording Registry. She has her own Barbie doll. What the fuck have you done with your life, Josh? Eat shit. I mean, yes, Barbara made some incredibly fucked up comments about Michael Jackson and his victims, but she made a full apology. And in a moment where similarly iconic figures like J.K. Rowling can't stop doubling down on the damage they've caused, I found Barbara's apology fairly refreshing. Anyway, my point stands, eat shit. Josh Drayton. Here's another comment from user Glingling Schmiernops. Yeah, sophisticated. Quote, when she was just Barbara and still a vulnerable human being before she became the Streisand. Very touching. Part of a world that is no more when Broadway was made for the native New Yorkers and not the tourists. Quote, yeah, clinkling schmiernops, that's, that's really what we need to get back to. We need to make Broadway even harder to access. Yeah, it should really just be for a really small, just the native New Yorkers. Yeah, maybe you should have to show your fucking ID. Maybe we should fucking, maybe we should gentrify New, New York even further. Broadway even further. Keep all of the tourists, the rabble out. Yeah, fuck you. And now for some quick bites as the Zoomers would say some queebies. Here's a bit of Don't Rain on My Parade from the 1968 album Diana Ross and the Supremes sing and perform Funny Girl. Don't tell me not to fly, I've simply gotcha. If someone takes a spill, it's me and not ya. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Ah, 
Ah, you love to hear that, Diana Ross, don't you? She's a lovely, lovely singer. Ah. Now let's hear B. Arthur's rendition of the song, which she delivered at the 1977 Tony Awards. Don't tell me not to fly up simply got. If someone takes a spill, it's me and night. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Don't tell me not to live to sit and putter. Life's funny and the sun's a ball of fun. Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade? I'll march my band out. I'll beat my drum. Or freckle on the nose of life's complexion The cinder or the shiny apple of its eye I gotta fly once, I gotta try once Only can die once, once, sir Love is juicy, juicy, and you see I gotta have my bite, sir Get ready for me, love, cause I'm a comer I've simply gotta march, my heart's a comer It's going to rain on my If you've never seen this performance, please know Arthur is somehow less engaged and more angry than she was in the Star Wars Holiday Special. I'm dead serious. It's as if she's been forced on stage under the threat of blackmail. Listen up, you slimy toad. If those photos ever see the light of day, I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm shaking in my crocodile skin boots over here. Now... Get your ass out there and sing the damn song! <laughs> Finally, we have a performance of I'm the Greatest Star from Season 5, Episode 21 of The Love Boat, which originally aired on February 27th, 1982. The name of that episode? It's a mouthful. Here's the name of the episode. The Musical slash My Ex-Mom slash The Show Must Go On slash The Pest slash My Aunt the Worrier Part 2. Now in this episode of The Love Boat, Carol Channing, Ethel Merman, Ann Miller, and Della Reese guest star, not as themselves, but as relatives of the Love Boat crew. They've arrived on the boat to ostensibly appear in a musical, but this musical would appear to consist of this one number. The joke is that all of these women sort of hate each other, a joke that seemed to carry over into real life, from what I can tell. Maybe they were the best of pals, who's to say? Oh, roll that clip, me.
I don't think anyone can say they've truly lived until they've heard Della Reese say, stick around for the jokes. It's like she has rocks and pine cones in her shoes. I love it. Now, to determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show, Seahorse, of course. Everyone ready? Then away we go. All right, we have landed in the year 2019. This was the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical in 2019. It had logged 376 performances as of the Broadway closure. That is as of March 15th, 2020, I believe. And that show is, you already know what it is, you big nerds. It's Hades Town. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be talking about Hades Town next week. Yes. Now, I'm feeling very schwitzy and I'm feeling very tired, and I think I'm going to give my myself the gift of not providing the full breakdown of everything we offer through our Patreon page, but I will encourage you to go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod, and I will encourage you to become a one, three, five, or ten dollar a month patron. You get a shit ton of incentives and bonus content. Even if you just become a one dollar a month patron, if you've heard this breakdown in the past, you know how much you get as a one dollar a month patron, okay? And as a reminder, 100% of all all of our monthly payouts will be donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. It's true. Now, I don't want to forget our verbal shout-outs, of course. If you donate at least $1 a month, you get a verbal shout-out from me each and every week. So thank you so much for donating. Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Mark S., Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Okay, I'm skipping all over the rest of it. I'm skipping over the rest of it. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny. Oh my gosh. I, I have been, I, let, let me just say this. Patty and Benny, a huge source of comfort to me. Uh, I, I can't believe I didn't bring them up at the beginning of this show. I mean, Patty was with me at the beginning of this process. Benny came in very early on in that same process. And they, I just don't want us to forget how much they are still doing to help me put together this show. They are a huge source of support for me. They are, I don't want to say they're my crutches, but I do lean on them. I really do. So thank you so much for all of your support, Patty and Benny. I cannot wait for the day that I am back in that studio with you across the way from me. The only thing I want dividing us is that pane of glass. I want it so much, but we have to be patient, don't we? We have to be patient. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, well, you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, Afidoshin, and good night.
Mum and Chance, a unique creation. A fun-filled fantasia, says the New York Times. Exceptional ingenuity and exciting possibilities in an all-new show. Mum and Chance, marvelously magical, says the Associated Press. An original adventure in theater and dance. Mum and Chance, the effect is illuminating. Don't twiddle your thumbs. Call charge at 944-9300. Mum and Chance at the Helen Hayes Theater.